Hi everybody, it's Andy from Snow Camps Europe, back again with Paul Simpson from the Snow, no, from the Ski Instructor Academy. It's been a long day, I've been skiing and everything today. I know, we've done about four of these podcasts. Yeah. Um, um, but before you start going to part two, you know, the, the one thing about winter and having all this snow dumping down continually here in Austria is... Everywhere has people clearing snow, yep. but of course they do it between one and five o'clock in the morning. Every morning, that uh, guy's been scraping that bloody car park at like yeah. one thirty-three, and I sleep with the window open, so like, you can't like not avoid this like scratching away. Our, our car park is four o'clock. He's there at four, and I woke up this morning at three thirty. Went to the toilet because I'm old, and then went right. I've got half an hour. And then I'm, awake, <laughs> then I'm awake again. And I was, I was awake from four till it was time to get out of bed. And the thing is as well, the dog then hears the noise and thinks, oh, it's time to go up. So then once the tractor disappears, the dog starts to kick off. Yeah. So I then have to fight with the dog to try and stay in bed. But yeah, you're right. There has been a phenomenal you amount can, of snow. You can actually hear them outside, now. outside, <laughs> well, outside yeah. now. And all they do is drive up and down the street because there's so much snow that I have to put it in the truck as well. It's Take not it to the, the river. And they then they dump it in the river. Dump it in the river. It's bonkers. Somebody actually asked me once, why don't they dump it on the piste? And it's like, well, it's got grit in it and it wouldn't be too good for our skis. But yeah. yeah. So part two. Part two. Uh, following on from the one that you've hopefully just watched, everybody. Um, we were covering off some comments and questions and we were having a little bit of a chat about a few things. And we talked about people who had learned to snowblade who then probably needed to learn to ski because they wanted to buy some relearn. skis or relearn. Yeah. And then we were talking about um, uh, poles and pole plants. And then John Coe had made a comment about, um, we'd, we'd spoken in a previous podcast about how important side slipping was and how you can use it in so many different situations, but it doesn't get, focused on enough as far as we're concerned as ski teachers and he also came up with also sidestepping which i said to you off camera yeah i remember when i learned to ski that was sort of a skill that you learned where now so many of these teaching areas have got these moving carpets people don't learn to sidestep I know, it's like people don't leave, learn to walk up stairs anymore. No, it's Because there's elevators in yeah. <laughs> But it's true, it's true. It's like you are subliminally or unconsciously practicing a skill when you were always having to sidestep before you could ski down your 10 metre slope. Yeah. You don't do that anymore because it's too tiring. Yeah. And all that movement of getting on the inside edge and stepping off it, it was always quite weird because one of the hardest things to do with a group of beginners when you don't have the magic carpet or a piece of carpet just to walk on mm -hmm. even was try to get them to just get five or six meters up a tiny little bank yep. because it would just be sliding back down all the time there'd be people sliding backwards there'd be people's bottom ski slipping away Constantly, there'd yeah. be people who just couldn't get any elevation yeah. and they, they completely lose the knee rotation the, the ability to or the ankle as well to get onto that inside yeah. edge completely to stand but off the, it then if you think what if, if they were if you can get them walking up on their edge and you've done your first sort of learning to ski thing so straight line in and head shoulders knees and toes and lifting skis up what where are you going to? You're going into a plough where you want them to be able to put the ski on the edge. Mm. You're going into a plough turn where they need to be able to feel the edge and then moving on to plough parallel. So it so makes sense what Joe said that sidestepping, it's no, I, I don't see any of us teaching it. No, you know? no. And, and um, it comes down to the importance of it. I was teaching a group of um, 
level three um, ski instructors who I used skating with them Mm -hmm. as a drill um, to get into very high performance, dynamic, short calves turns. And that sequence of skating was, for a lot of them, was something that was so challenging for them to project themselves forward. And when I say we were skating, we, we started on like an easy blue, but we ended up skating down steep reds to actually initiate this dynamic carved turn. And they all learned so much. And I've had instructors come back to me. This was eight or nine years ago. I remember that particular um, lesson. And one's a trainer now for, for Ski Instructor Academy. He said, you know, I had such like a, 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 like a switch in my head about dynamic carving just from that skating drill. Mm. And he says, I tried to replicate that in my teaching all the time. So that's another skating sidestepping, side-slipping, three skills, which actually, just like playing the piano and going up and down the scales, mm. I would say it's something you should do constantly, yeah. all the time. And then the other one I remember learning, and we, I said, we, we learned to sidestep up to allow us to come down. We then learned to walk up in a herringbone. <gasps> and yeah, that, that Adults was, nowadays can't do herringbone. <laughs> it's like doing <laughs> yoga on skis to them. But but again, if you if you're learning herringbowing and then you're going onto the flat and you're learning skating, obviously it's almost a progression, isn't it? For those that don't know, Andy's talking about basically stepping up like a duck uphill, so like opening your legs, yeah, a reverse plow, Um, and generally it's frowned upon with adults at the beginning stage because they just can't do it unless they're very sporty and athletic so you teach kids it mm-hmm. to herring bow or to go up in this uh, position like a duck but with adults it's almost nowadays it's not done because they don't seem to be to put their limbs into that contorted position if you yeah. like but actually as andy says it, it's very you know if you had an ice skater or somebody they would find it Breeze, yeah, piece of cake, yeah, piece of cake, and that's always been the case. If you ever get somebody who is an ice skater who then suddenly wants to learn to ski, oh, they're awesome. Like, I mean, they're just awesome Uh, straight away. I remember um, Duncan, you know, Duncan, Duncan Cameron. He had um, he had a guy, and this was when we worked for the ski school where beginners learn on what were they one twenties? Oh, the one twenty on one twenty skis, so quite short skis. And he had a beginner lesson, a private, and the the guy put these skis on and Duncan went to go and do something, came back and the guy was skating around Kinderland, like flying around. <laughs> and it turned out he was like, a, he was an ice hockey player yeah, right. and he was just all over it. He was, it was fantastic. So yeah, ice skaters onto skis. Mm. Like, yes. So, I mean, leading on to those comments, Annie, have you got any other issues, comments on yours? Um, no, there was, the, there was a, we did the pole plant one that was... There was one of yeah, the, but I mean, that, was, that was the main thing. It was just it, it kind of rung an alarm bell in my head about the sidestepping that Joe said, and and I think if you haven't done it, if it's something you're listening in from, um, you know, let's face it, we all want to basically ski right to the lift, don't we? We don't want to like stop 25 meters before it and have to like skate in or sidestep up a little bank. It's it's just laziness, you know, it's it's what we are. It's why we park the car right next to the shop in the disabled bay. <laughs> I don't do that. I park, I get accused of parking my car in the other town. People go, why are you parking in Zellumsee oh, to go shopping in Caprun? <laughs> I'm, I'm the furthest away from the door because I know that 80% of cosmetic car damage yeah. is created by other car owners opening the doors at supermarket car parks so i park the furthest away and i'll try and find a space that's only got one side to it 
<laughs> this makes Andy's day. It does. Yeah. Also, it gives me a longer walk to and from the show. Exactly. Exactly that. Um, so, yeah, so staying staying fit and healthy, which brings me on to the, the myriad of um, huge string of comments we've had on uh, Be the Best Skier You Can, part one. Um, and, of course, now part two is up as well. And I know even Andy watched part two right the way through. I watched part two all the way through yesterday. Um, and I have to admit, I only watched about 15 or 12 minutes of the first one because I got sidetracked with something else. Yes. But I found a second part very interesting. And I was saying to Paul off camera, the way he broke it down, if you've not seen it yet, go and see it. And we'll put a link up here somewhere. Um, go and have a look at it because the way he's broken down what he's talking about is very digestible. Yeah. What's and it's usual. No, no, it's usual. Double thinks, obviously, been watching it. He's a regular. Um, he's, he's a regular. regular. He's, 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 he's put his point of view across about muscle memory. What would be the best way to counter oh. that? Oh, I'm going to have to tackle Ooh. that one. That'll be a good one. Well, hang on a minute. Actually. Muscle memory. No such thing, eh? <laughs> well... Yes, we will tackle that actually. Neuro, in a separate neuro, conversation. Is it is it not neurological pathways to the brain? Yeah, well, maybe maybe we we'll we'll tackle that in a separate podcast because that could be a good one. Sounds like I know what I'm on about, but I'm just kind of quoting, echoing, yeah, echoing. But um, I, I'm 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 a big I have quite yeah I. We'll talk about it another time. I was going to say, let's finish, finish that sentence off. Um, yeah, but let's look at part one. Um, yes, um, the part one was was generally the idea was to introduce you to a bit of a concept of what fitness is, how it can affect you within your daily life. It wasn't just about skiing. I mean, we're all heading in the same direction, and that's towards death. Seven feet under. Yeah. And to try and slow down that process is important. And I know a lot of people who I deal with are in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And obviously that they're looking to try and, you know, slow down that journey. They want to make sure that they're, they're as active as they can be, maximizing their potential. And I know a lot of people, you know, who try to get better at skiing through skiing. My perspective of that coming from a different background is you cannot do that. As you get older, you're going to need some supplements to help you. And I'm on about the food type. I'm on about whether it be mobility, stability and stretching, whether it be some sort of strength training. And these three video parts that I'm putting up are going through the why and the proof and the science behind it. But more importantly, when I post up part three, it'll give you an opportunity to actually measure your own um, mobility to see if it's affecting your skiing. And it, it's surprising. Even something as stupid as your ability to put your arms over your head can have an effect on your ability to turn in one direction. So we're starting to get into, yes, it is a bit of mechanics and stuff, but it's simple, isn't it? I mean, the yeah, part I, I, as I said off camera, you, the way you presented the second part, because I've not watched the first part, it was really digestible. It was really good the way you broke it down. And what what we're Paul, what Paul's talking about is it's we it's a lot about you need a multitude of training to become a much better skier. So you can't just concentrate on riding a bike or aerobic activity, or you just can't concentrate on only agility. You've got to have a mix to enable you to perform on the snow. And it's funny because I always used to say to my ex-father-in-law, Jimmy, and this was before I was coming over 10 years ago to re-qualify with you guys. And he said, Andy, how are you going to get your skiing to the next level? And I said, I've got to get fitter. I can only do it by becoming fitter yeah. and all round fitness. And I, 
I, I did do that before I came over 10 years ago and I kind of maintained it for quite some years until I smashed my knee up. And then I had 18 months of rehab. And then since then, I'm probably now at the least fittest and have a crap physique compared to where I was. Um, which unfortunately due to lockdown hasn't helped because the gyms keep closing. I went yeah. back to the gym a few weeks ago for four sessions mm -hmm. and it closed again. Which is interesting because it brings me to a point as well. Obviously, having such large groups with Ski Instructor Academy, let's say on average you may tackle up to 500 students in a year in Ski Instructor exams. Now, this year, I saw in the first two and a half, um, well, let's say 15 training days, Andy, um, and you skied with some of them, we saw six ACL ruptures. Now, when I looked back on the insurance and claims and stuff like that over the last six years, we've had one ACL rupture in six years. Yep. And yet this year we had six in the space of 15 days. And I wouldn't say that uh, the conditions were not uh, like that challenging. Were they? I mean, they were icy, they were a bit tough at times until it started to snow. But I think in a lot of it, by the way, as well, I just say it was females, um, which I'm seeing a lot of, and I could go into the mechanics of why this is. You see a lot of this in tennis players, female tennis players, female football players, um, that this needs to be addressed at the international level. But we saw ACL ruptures, and that's a sign to me as well that maybe there was a lot of inactivity. Yeah, people sat around during the lockdowns. Yeah, for you, yeah. You, 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 that would be one of the first things you would assume, isn't it? Yeah. It, it, it could be other things, but you would, you would, given the amount of inactivity a lot of people have had because of the lockdowns, then you would think that has paid, played a part for sure. Um, could have also been a binding malfunction. Did they all have the same bindings? Yeah, could have been. So the, the conditions weren't that challenging over those two weeks. Yeah, we didn't have a great deal of fresh snow. There was a bit of ice about. It got bumpy in the afternoons, but if if. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't crazy bad. No. Well, anyway, let's go back to the comments. And so Chris Mann was talking about uh, top four ski mistakes video. So he he points out quite a different, um, an obvious thing to us, I suppose, and himself is you know he's, he he finds one of the hardest things about skiing is this balance awareness on the skis, and then you know he he goes on to say that. Um, what he tends to find is he suffers from total technique breakdown on terrain that's you know particularly difficult, and he wonders if that's just himself or whether other people find that. Um, yeah, I think basically whether people admit it or they don't. I mean, this is probably from a psychological point of view as well. We we get people who hurdle down black runs, but they literally are in you know the most horrendous positions on their skis as well. Their technique breakdowns there. But I think people like yourself recognise your technique breakdown and anything that's moguls, crud, um, steep terrain, narrow terrain, busy terrain, um, bumpy to the sides, whatever. People break down in their technique, and it's the first clue to the fact that actually you probably haven't mastered the fundamentals of skiing and this is where we all end up skipping the fundamentals because we seek the easy terrain we seek the the nice corduroy in the morning we seek the the best easiest lines etc yeah, i think also in what, what's his name uh, Chris Mann. Chris Mann. And I, I, I don't know you, Chris, and this is just me guessing. And I'm guessing that you learned to ski. You got quite competent and then you stopped learning to ski. Um, and then when it gets steeper or choppier or cruddy or bumpier, then that's when it goes. And it's potentially because you've not continued learning and you've not learned the skills that are needed in that terrain or at that 
steepness. But as Paul said, yeah, it happens to everybody at some point. Um, but I would think... And I think, again, I think, I'm kind of, I'm guessing, but I would think that it's because you, you've not been taken onto a steep pitch and been told how to get down it, how best to ski it, mm. um, and whether you have them skills to go onto that pitch already. Um, I, but, I think that's the issue, Andy. I think you need to go back with with people like that. I think that the problem is when they find um, that they're challenged on difficult terrain. It's just a signal that. This is the problem that it is easy to go down a blue, a red, a black piece that's, you know, nicely groomed and stuff like that. And it's, it's, the snow's grippy. The, the, the challenge is, is putting yourself onto terrain that's, you know, more challenging. Yep. But before you do that, you need to ski the simpler stuff like it's the challenging stuff. And mm-hmm. it comes back down to exaggeration again. So, for example, if you look at that video, Chris, where I was talking about the exaggeration of movement, if you actually went away and practiced that in conditions where you don't need that much movement, and this is the problem why people go, why, why the hell are you doing that? But if you practice that you're going to need that much movement if you get trapped into some slushy or sugary snow or it's some sort of bumpy terrain it's it's you know anything like that that movement's going to help you because this is the same situation when i'm teaching let's say in strength and conditioning and i look at somebody i think hang on a second they have a limited range of movement within their hip now that amount of movement they have let's say is enough to make a deep squat you know, with weight on the back or whatever. So somebody might say, oh, well, that's fine. You know, they've got enough range of movement, but hang on, they have now no forgiveness. They're at the maximum point when they're making that deep squat with that with that joint. What I need to do is say, hang on, what happens if something moved, something shifted, the weight shifted on your back or something, and you had to suddenly adjust into a deeper position? You can't. Bang, something pops, something goes injured, so you're injured. Skiing's the same. If you're skiing on a terrain and you're just making the absolute minimum, like you said about the guy in the snow blades, the <laughs> minimum movement to make that ski turn, then your body's going to get used to that. And what you have to do is get your body sometimes, just not all runs of the day, but say, hang on, two or three runs, I'm going to make myself work ridiculously. You know, I'm going to make myself move and work much more than I normally would. But you're getting some ingrained muscle memory. <laughs> as I, was, we said before, I was waiting for it. <laughs> to say, right, I do have that confidence that if I hit that big bump in front of me, I can absorb that because I know I can get my backside down to the back binding if I need to. And this mm. is the thing, like, people are skiing too comfortably. Yep. Yeah, and it, it it does happen to all of us. I've had it where I've skied one day on the piste and it's been fantastic conditions. Then it's dumped a serious amount of powder and we go up, rightly or wrongly, don't do a warm-up, go straight into the powder and I'm like, I can't turn my skis, I can't turn my skis. Because what am I doing? I'm doing what I did last, which was I'm trying to ski the deep powder like I was skiing yesterday on the perfect piste with a different pair of skis on. Yeah. Um, and and it takes it takes me half of that run to go, right, Rose, sort it out. Start bloody moving. Start using your yeah. bit of body tension, drive the legs, and then all of a sudden, boom, you're you're powdering you're powering through the powder again. But yeah. and and this goes on to something we were talking about earlier about setting yourself up at the beginning of each run for it to be successful. Now, if I've gone into the powder and I'm struggling, I've not done exactly what we were talking about earlier, which was, okay, what am I about to do? 
get myself in a, a good position, think about what I'm going to do in my head, visualize what I'm about to do, now go and ski it. Mm. And if I was to do, have done that on that powder day that I'm talking about, my first, second and third turn wouldn't have been like they were, where I was like, whoa, I can't turn, whoa, I'm in the back seat, whoa, I'm going to fall over. It'd be like, uh, what you call it, Usain Bolt or something, you know, like everybody's in the starting blocks in the lanes and Usain's just standing there, like with his legs crossed and bang, okay, let's <laughs> run. You know, everybody's preps themselves, you can see them in the starting blocks getting ready to, to run that 100 metres. In skiing, it's the same. It's so important, especially if you're a tall guy, a lazy type of skier, that you... Snap yourself, yeah. get yourself ready, switch yourself on, lower yourself, lower your centre of mass from where it is, get it closer to the binding to set off with. So when that first turn hits you, it's not a bit of a surprise. Yeah, if you think about a golfer, when a golfer's about to tee off, he doesn't just walk up, walk up to the ball on the tee and go bang, does he? He does some practice swings, he then gets into his position, mm. he then gets his club in the right place and then he strikes the ball. Dorothy, when she wanted to go home, she would click her heels, yeah. you know? Um, it's, as you said, sprinters, you see sprinters, if you watch a sprinter over and over again, the way they put their foot into the block, yeah. then the next one, the way they position their hands, the way they kick their leg back, they'll do it in a particular order every time. And a, a good one is David Beckham. When David Beckham took free kicks, he had a ritual of how he would place the ball, walk back from the ball, step to the side of the ball, and then take the free kick. And that that becomes ingrained in them. Because we only go skiing as a tourist maybe once or twice a year, it doesn't. So you have to actively think about what you're going to do yeah. and get yourself ready. And it, it, it's probably weird for many recreational skiers to think like that. To think, I'm on holiday, man. Shut yeah. the... Like, you know what I mean? Just I'm just going to go down that hill. But then then you all question it, why it's not working. Well, yeah, because it's a sport. It's like, it's not quite, you know, lying on the beach and putting your towel down. So I, I think that people definitely need to be that little bit more switched onto it, you know. What else we got? Oh, uh, oh fishbowl here. Also. Oh, Benzinis, $2, please. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll send you your $2 in the post for I, your, for your I, I watched, feedback. I watched the video. Um, I watched the video a couple of days ago where a teacher did say bend the knees and I was like I really I was like are we um, are we back in the 70s well in fairness there's a context it can be important but in this context on this video it wasn't no. it wasn't the the right thing to say and that comes back to me doing a video about queuing bad queuing good queuing and I think it's something I need to tackle uh, thanks for posting Lovsky. Inclination, angulation, separation, the difference is really important. Great to stress what happens instead of this, this static magic. Yeah, um, true. Yeah, I mean, we talked about inclination and angulation. I mm -hmm. explained to you when you uh, angulate what the difference was. And yeah, um, there's a lot of positive posts there, you know, not not, not too much abuse. I'm, get, I'm getting less abuse, Andy. I must, you know. <laughs> less and less abuse. <laughs> <laughs> there's not so many people shouting. It isn't calling us crap. Do <laughs> <laughs> do keep the, do keep the comments and the questions the coming because the questions give us material to then come back to you with other podcasts. So um, true, please true. do keep commenting and uh, asking questions. Yeah, we posted up a little um, video today, which was um, two minutes or a minute and a half of the Kitchsteinhorn um, from the drone shots and. Um, 
the Kitchstein Hunts actually borrowed the post as well, but it's just a nice little, um, what we would call a B-roll, it's um, cinematic video of the Kitchstein Horn, um, which is nice. But I will post up um, part three as well, or it's probably already up by the time this video is done, because this is about our third podcast, so. Yeah. And we'll have to have our Christmas special as well, which will probably be next after this Christmas one. Christmas special, I'll get my Santa outfit out. Yeah, cocoa marshmallows. <laughs> Good stuff. The marshmallows on the fire. Good yeah. idea. I think we're about done, Andy. What do you reckon? Yeah. Oh, stop it. Don't forget to hit the like button, subscribe, share it with your friends. See you next time. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>